Well, 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 TNL. Fancy seeing you here. <laughs> I'm Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I would really like that. So I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Uh, it's really good to be with you tonight. Um, I hope you're aware of just how incredible these musicians are that you have playing for you every week. And I hope you're very excited for them to turn it up to 11 on Friday at the Gothic Theater. It's going to be awesome. Um, these guys are some of the best of the best, really. And I love the Christmas music they play. Um, I love all the stuff they make, but it's really, really good stuff. I, uh, there's one Christmas song that doesn't ever get played in church. I totally understand why. Um, but uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. You know, nobody plays that one, obviously, but, like, it feels like a pub song to me. We wish you a Merry Christmas, right? You could, like, have a Stein in your hand and kind of doing this. I really love that song. There's a line in the song that... Um, that will always kind of perplexed me, uh, so bring us some figgy pudding, right? I don't know what that is. I don't know if you know what that is. And I probably wouldn't think much of it, but this, the line after that is, we won't go until we get some. Um, can you imagine staging a sit-in for figgy pudding? Like, it must be really, really good stuff if that's what people are doing in order to get the figgy pudding that they believe is rightfully theirs. Um, in addition to the Christmas music, I love this time of year, looking back on the year and just thinking about all the stuff that's happened. I even spent some time thinking about the things that I had hoped would happen and haven't actually come to fruition. Um, I get real nostalgic this time of year. And so um, I've been thinking recently a lot about like my job and my role and like what is it that I'm doing around here. And like any job, um, there are things about my job I love and there are things about my job that I really uh, I have a hard time with or I get frustrated by. And I'm just going to take the next few minutes to share all the things that bother me about my job. I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, one of the things I love the most about my job um, is that I, it has been from, from the get-go, you know, about six years ago, that I've uh, rearranged my life to take spiritual and social responsibility for the city of Inglewood, which has meant getting to know every element, every nook and cranny of this place, every person who's in leadership, every business owner, every neighbor, I mean, as many people as I possibly can. And what that means for me is that I get to visit a lot of like bars and restaurants and businesses and schools and neighbors and things like that, and I love it. Um, it is also a part of my job that I completely made up. Nobody told me I should do that, but I decided to do it, and I stand by it, and I've continued to do it over the past few years, and it has been extremely fruitful and really amazing to get to know these folks. But one of the things that you start to see if you spend any time paying attention to what's happening in your neighborhood over the course of time is you notice that there's turnover, right? Sometimes it's your neighbors, sometimes it's a business, sometimes it's you know somebody like the principal of a school or something like that. There's turnover in these places. And we have a bit of a hard time with turnover, especially if it's a place or a person that was sort of a staple to that particular place, right? Like if you had a neighbor you really liked and then they move out and then the new neighbor moves in, you have a little bit of a hard time with that new neighbor. It's not their fault, but you kind of blame them just a little bit that they moved into this place that you, you know, used to like the people in. There was a coffee shop up on uh, Santa Fe a couple years ago called Session that some of you might be familiar with, and I spent like four or five days a week there. I loved it. It was a great spot. My buddy Matt ran it, and they left, and they moved to another location, and a sandwich shop moved in there, and I will never go into that sandwich shop, okay, unless it's to tell them to leave. Um, they didn't do anything wrong, but I kind of blamed them, you know, somehow. There was a brewery down here on the 3400 block of South Broadway. Um, you might have been familiar with it. It was called The Bob, The Brew on Broadway. And it was owned by this guy named Paul, who lives here in Inglewood. Still lives here. Um, he decided to retire a couple years ago. And instead of passing on the business to someone else, he just sold the building to another brewery. 
And it took like the whole city a little bit of time <laughs> to actually go to this brewery because we're all like, we're not so sure about this new brewery because we really liked the old one. And we really just liked that it was kind of ours. You know, we felt responsibility over it. Um, but I highly encourage you at some point, if you have the time, go check out this brewery that's down there. It's called Brewability. Um, and it's like nothing I've ever really experienced in my life. I mean, it's truly a different approach to everything you would think of in terms of like a bar or a restaurant. Uh, you would experience something that maybe you've never experienced anywhere else. And their premise, like their basic premise, is that the average bar and restaurant is fairly ableist. Like it's designed for people like me who have a broad range of abilities. And brewability isn't that at all. They have an entire room of sensory-focused items that help soothe anxieties. Their menu is written in a way that accommodates everybody. Like no matter who you are, you could read it and experience it. The person behind the bar, the bar or making the pizza is usually somebody with a disability or somebody with a disability has made the beer that you're drinking. Uh, they have utensils for all abilities. So no matter how you get food or drink from, a, from like a container into your mouth, they have a way to do that. They have like this whole kitchen set thing for that. It's amazing. Um, they even have a G-tube menu so that if you use a G-tube, in their mind, you should be able to choose what you put in your body. And so you get to choose like off of a menu for that kind of thing. They're in the process of installing technology in front of the stage in the brewery so that uh, if, if somebody is deaf or hard of hearing, they can feel the vibration of the music through, the, through their feet while they experience it live right in front of them. Tiffany is the owner, her and her husband uh, Tanner, and they'll give you a full tour. So if you get the time, you should go down there and check it out. And if you're wondering why, like why, why would they rearrange their entire business model around uh, a pretty small, pretty niche population? Like why would somebody do that? Uh, you're not alone in asking that question. There's a lot of people that are like, is this really the best way for you guys to continue in your business and to make money? And their answer is no, it's really not the best way for us to do it. But the answer to why they are the way they are is love. The answer to why they are the way they are is the Advent theme for this week. They have chosen a way of loving their neighbors that truly accommodates the needs of the people who walk in the door. They've chosen a way of approaching their customers and their employees that bends over backwards to accommodate the people in the room, no matter who it is. Love, the way that we're going to talk about it today, is an expression, it is expressed perfectly in the season of Christmas, and it's the very thing that we long for and we await it's the thing that we only have a few more days to wait for, this thing that we're hoping for, this thing that we're going to experience, because it comes in the form of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is that kind of love that's accommodating, that bends over backwards, that does everything it can to reach us and to care for us. Here's a familiar text that will help us frame our understanding of God's love from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. If you've spent much time around the Bible or church or like any sort of expression of Christianity, you've likely heard that before. You may have heard it so many times that you sort of like check out when you start to hear somebody read or, or quote John 3.16. It's one of those things that we hear so often and we see so often and it's like it's easy to gloss over it and not pay much attention. But it's actually pivotal in our understanding of who God is. 
It's pivotal in our understanding of who Jesus is. You'll notice at the beginning there's a, a, there's a qualifying statement that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. So you have a, a situation where the quality and the quantity is so grand and so great that it requires a response. God's love is vast, it's deep, it's strong and significant, it's overwhelming, and it moved God to action. Can you imagine something for a second that is so great and so wild and so vast that it moved the God of the universe to action? That's what God's love is. It's that vast and it's that incredible. But it's not just this immense, vast, amazing, widespread thing. It's also specific, like really crazy specific. It is both relational and locational. God's love comes in a particular person to a particular place. Also from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is a description of something that we refer to as incarnation. The, the word of God or Jesus, the Messiah, God himself, became flesh, became flesh and bone with blood coursing through his veins, and he moved into the neighborhood. Incarnation is when intangible love becomes physically represented in a person and a place. That's what incarnation is, when intangible love becomes physically represented in a person and a place. That's precisely what the arrival of Jesus means for you and for me. It means that intangible love, this thing that was like an idea, but that was also so powerful and so vast and so incredible that it moved God to action and it came in the form of a person to a particular place. Ellen G. White says this, that we might become acquainted with his divine character in life. Christ took our nature and dwelt among us. Divinity was revealed in humanity, the invisible glory in the visible human form. Men could learn of the unknown through the known. Heavenly things were revealed through the earthly. God was made manifest in the likeness of men. Now, we spent a lot of time in Advent and in other seasons of the church calendar as well talking about this idea of incarnation. But usually when we talk about it, we're talking about the person of Jesus, the actual, like, you know, flesh and bone part. But we forget that incarnation means that God's love came to a particular place, too. In this case, it came to Bethlehem. And it's easy to maybe assume that Bethlehem, like, is something special or holy or, like, incredible, but it was actually super ordinary, and I think that's the point. Bethlehem was a very ordinary town with ordinary people. And Jesus comes into the world as a very ordinary person. And what that means is, is the incarnation, the love of God that was so vast and wild and incredible that it moved God to action, it's for you and for me, regardless of who we are or what we've done or left undone. It's for ordinary people like us, living in ordinary places like the place that you live, doing ordinary jobs like the job that you do. That's what incarnation means, that God's love came to us and for us, and it required nothing of us. You see, incarnation, I think at its very root, is actually the most accommodating thing that God has ever done. God does something for us that requires nothing of us. God brings his love into the world through his son to a particular place to remind us that we need take no steps forward towards him, but rather we get to receive the love of God. The love of God is something that we get to receive completely. 
There's a story that I think beautifully illustrates this, Incarnate Love. It's a story of a fledgling church trying to find some soil soft enough in a neighborhood to put down some shallow roots at the beginning. Um, as I said at the beginning here, um, it was my job kind of all along, again, made up, but a job nonetheless, to go around and get to know as many people as possible. Um, I started here in the middle of November um, in 2015 on a Monday. And I think I spent Monday like alphabetizing my books or something. And then on Tuesday, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and I started to walk around and I started to knock on doors. I knocked on a lot of doors. I know that sounds like a really weird thing to do. And looking back, it is a weird thing to do, but I did it anyways. And one of the doors I knocked on was Bishop Elementary School, which is a couple of blocks from here. And uh, I knocked on the door or like push the button or however you get into schools, you know how it works. And I go in and I talk to the person at the front desk and I was like, I'd really like to talk with the principal. I don't think I was even comfortable enough calling myself a pastor at that point. I was just like, I'm just a guy. I know this is weird, but can I talk to the principal? And they were like, yeah, sure. Her door's open. Go on in. Um, which, of course, looking back, I'm like, that is wild that they let me do that. But maybe that, maybe there was something there. Um, and I was able to go in and talk with the principal, who was a different person than is the principal now. And, and I said, just tell me about this neighborhood. Because if, if, if you have kids and they're in school, or if you remember back to kind of when you were in school, schools have a tendency to just be like a magnet for the neighborhood. And the people who live around there are well represented in those schools. And so principals tend to know really well, like what's this neighborhood like? What's going on around here? Tell me more, tell me more. So I started to ask these questions and she told me about all kinds of things that make Bishop and this corner of Inglewood um, unique. But there's one thing she said, and she said, you know, there's this church that comes in here and does this, does this Christmas store for like 30 of our families every year, and it's this amazing thing, and we love it so much. And I just kind of like filed that away. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. I just want to check it out, you know. But then she reminded me like, hey, you know, they, they just passed a bond, and we're going to bulldoze this school and build a new one. And I was like, oh, very good point. I need to pay attention to that too. So what I did was weaseled my way onto the design committee for the new school. Okay, because I knew my kids were going to go there, and they are there enrolled now. And I was like, I want to have something to say about the building my kids go to every single day. And so I get on this design committee, and we're sitting there with these architects, and it's mostly parents. And we're saying, well, we should have this and that. And, it, and you can learn a ton about your school that way, too, because you find out, again, who is it that has particular needs that need to be met by the building. So it turns out that Bishop has the highest concentration of students with, with special needs in the city of Inglewood. Uh, Bishop has a really high concentration of non-English speaking students or students who, who are from around the world, uh, not from the U.S. And so there was a lot of things that needed to happen in that school in order to accommodate the needs of those students there. And at one point, they were trying to figure out, like, well, because we have so many students who are in chairs or using walkers of some kind or whatever, we need to find a way to make sure there's always stairs and ramps next to each other. But they're like, we can't do it. There's not enough room. Like, how are we going to do this? And at some point... Uh, a parent in the back like sheepishly raised her hand and she goes, hey, you could just have ramps. Like you don't need stairs because everybody can use the, and like it was quiet. The architects were like, we've never thought of that before. They built schools. Like that's what these guys did. They built schools. And they were like, this is incredible. You should be an architect. Um, I think this lady was offered a job that day. And it kind of became like a catchphrase for us as we were planning and, and hitting, you know, frustration or walls or whatever we were like. Somebody would eventually say, like, why not just have ramps? And we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Think outside the box, you know. Think about how to accommodate the people with the highest need, and then everybody else can figure out how to manage around that, right? Well, last weekend, uh, we hosted um, the, like, ninth annual Inglewood Christmas tour that now serves, like, four different schools in the city. We served 200 families 
over there at Bishop in the new building. Um, 650 kids were shopped for. 1,300 gifts went out the door. Every family who shopped got a bag of groceries. And we had this massive outerwear store where people could get backpacks and jackets and pants and socks and stuff like that. I mean, the store has just grown and grown and grown. And it was really, really cool to be in the building with our team to pull this off because it was the first time because of the pandemic and the construction that we had been in the building since that conversation where we planned out what the school was gonna be like. And so I gotta walk around and show people like, you see that ramp right there? It's a good looking ramp, isn't it? You know, I gotta walk around and be like, you see that sensory room right there? That's just filled with awesome sensory stuff for kids to get whatever therapies they need in that room. Every placard on the playground and inside the building is in English and Spanish and Arabic because those are the three primary languages that are spoken in this neighborhood. There's so many things. A lot of them are subtle, but there's so many things about that building that are a result of Bishop and the architects saying, we want to do everything we can to care for the students who have needs, and everybody else will figure it out. Everybody else will come around, and that's how that school is designed. It is a, a picture, a representation of incarnate love of love that accommodates fully and completely. Love that goes all the way, not part way and requires a little bit of reciprocation, but love that goes all the way. Love that comes down and moves into the neighborhood. This is exactly what I feel like I've experienced there and a million other places I could tell so many stories. Uh, a week ago, uh, an author and activist named Bell Hooks, who you may have heard of, um, passed away. I had not heard of Bell Hooks until she died, and the internet exploded and was like, have you not heard of this woman? She's incredible. And so I started reading. I went down the rabbit hole deep and started reading all of her stuff, and really, really incredible writer. Um, she says this. It turns out she writes a lot about love, so it was, it was really fitting that I found out about some of the things that she had written. She says this about love. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression, the moment we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. Love is a movement towards liberation. It's an opportunity for us to move towards a version of freedom, the likes of which the world maybe has not seen until we get the chance to usher it in, to move into the neighborhood and to expand people's understanding of God's love. You see, this incarnate love that came for you, that moved into your neighborhood, that moved into your heart, that moved into your area, that came all the way to you, is actually a kind of love that you get to carry with you. you. You hold it right now within your person, within your priorities, within your vision and values, within your family, within your household, within your neighborhood. You hold that love. Not only did it come for you, it was given to you. And now you get a chance to extend it everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you get a chance to extend this love. This next week is going to be interesting. I think that I've talked with a lot of people who are like dreading some of the things that are coming up, right? There's like some family gatherings or there's like, I'm going to see this one person. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. We're probably going to talk about this or that. And it's been a really helpful thing for me to think about the incarnate love that came for me that I now hold that I can now pass along. In this next couple of weeks, as I interact with lots of different people that I haven't seen in a while, my hope is that I get to extend the same incarnate love, the same accommodating love that has been extended to me. And that's my hope for you, too, that you get to take that love with you everywhere you go and pass it out to everybody you interact with. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to gather together. Um, after 
uh, a lot of time where that wasn't even possible. Uh, may we never take that for granted. The chance to gather together side by side, to sing, to pray, to listen. Um, I pray that tonight, as we go uh, from here and we go about our lives, uh, that we would take that love that you have given to us so freely, that we would take it and we would pass it out freely as well, that it be for everybody around us. Thank you, God, so much for sending your son for us and for extending a love the likes of which the world has never seen. Uh, I pray, God, that it would change us and that as we go out with it, we would change the world with it. Amen.